Hi, Sherry here. I just wanted to stop by and welcome Erin Kelly today to the podcast. She is an artist, a yoga instructor, a yogini, and a world traveler. And I am so grateful that she was willing to deal with the time change and all of the scheduling spaces to make this happen. I got to know her so much better than I did before, and it was so enjoyable to spend time just chatting with her today. She has some really wonderful things to share, and her desire to share her stories was all around helping someone else who might be listening to her story realize that they're not alone. And that is truly why I created Titanium Blonde. It is about building connection, community, and sharing our stories so that we all realize that we are not alone. And that even though our stories may be different, there's some little nugget in there that connects us all on a deeper level. So I hope you enjoy this interview. It was such a great time. It's the longest interview I've done so far, and I just couldn't stop it any sooner. We had too much fun talking together. Also, I'd like to let you know that we are now available on Spotify. All of the episodes are up there, so you can listen to them. You can still listen to them on Apple Podcasts. You can also still go to the website, titaniumblonde.com, click the podcast link, and listen either from the website, or you can download it and listen to it later. Thank you for joining me, and please enjoy this episode. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks, and I'd like to know, what's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. This morning, I would like to welcome my guest, Erin Kelly. She's a traveling yoga teacher and artist. She travels all over the world teaching workshops and trainings many times with her teaching partner, Steph Gongora, who was on a previous podcast episode, so you can go back and listen to hers later. This last spring, they led their first yoga teacher training at Steph's Flow Retreat Center in Uvita, Costa Rica. Erin and Steph also offer online classes on their own website, as well as on OMSTARS. Erin has written or been featured in Mantra Magazine, Yoga Guide Magazine, and Yoga Journal. Currently, she's living in England, practicing her yoga on all the things, including her kitchen, and exploring England while she's creating her art as well. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy that you're here. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for thinking of me and choosing me to come and speak here. It has uh, been a long time coming, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it, well, you know, that's interesting. It's been a lot of the people that I've worked with, it's been this whole thing of how do we make the schedules mesh, especially with different time zones. And everybody has a lot of things going on in their life. So I'm always so appreciative when people can make the time and we can actually bring all the wagons together and make it happen. Will you tell us a little bit more in your own words about who you are, maybe a little bit about your yoga journey and how you ended up in England at this particular point in time in your life? Sure. Um, well, I'll start off with my age. I'm 36. I just got to England roughly three weeks ago. It was a bit of a quick transition. Prior to that, a little bit of back history on me. I grew up mainly on the northeast coast of America. So I was born in Baltimore, but lived in New Jersey, New Hampshire, New York City, Pennsylvania. I moved around quite a bit with my, um, my family. It was my dad's job. 
And then um, roughly right after college, I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art, and I have a BFA in fine art oil painting, a minor in art history and psychology. I took off and went on the road, and I got a couple of really interesting jobs in New Mexico and Oklahoma. And it led me out to California, which where I was just at for about 13 years. I was in Venice Beach, California, and it was quite a long, I call it like life college. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I really learned a lot about myself, people and experiences. And just recently, I'm going through another big life transition where I have left my life partner that I was with for the past six years. And my heart just pulled on me to come to England. I think it's more or less my art history background and my love for fine art oil painting. I wanted to go and experience what these landscapes that I have been gazing at for so long look like. So um, that's how I ended up in England. (laughs) That's really amazing. Tell us a little bit about when you started yoga and when you moved from just being a student to then also becoming an instructor? Sure, sure. Um, When I was 20, I was in art school and my boyfriend at the time, his mother was a heavy yoga practitioner. And I just remember seeing this glow in her. I mean, she she just had this essence that was unlike no other. I, I was enamored by her. And I I wanted what she had. And, you know, when you're young and you're 20, um, it's very common to have, you know, emotional disturbances. And uh, (laughs) do those ever go away? I I actually don't know. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Um, I was was always in a moment of um, looking for solution. And so I, I kind of took some of her DVD. DVDs at the time, I think. I practiced with her on a couple of like holiday uh, vacations. And then I started to, I lived in a row home in Baltimore at the time. And we had an extra room that was incredibly hot because it was all the way up on the top of the row home and nobody used it. And and so I brought my little boom box there with my um, Enigma CD in it. <laughs> and I rocked out to Enigma and I basically did two postures um, one, maybe it was just a transition into warrior three. So some sort of lunge into warrior three. And then I would like wave my arms around and I was just, I, I, you know, and that's all I knew. So when people ask me like, where do I start? I mean, it, that's basically how I started. I knew barely a posture, yep. and, but I knew that I needed to breathe. And, uh, with how hard it was to breathe in that room, I, I certainly tried. And so that was my beginning and that was 16 years ago. So the first 10 years of my yoga practice or, um, how it was in my life, uh, it was a bit choppy. You know, I really do believe that yoga can come and go in our, in our lives, like lots of different creative mediums and languages. Um, there's certain times where they're fitting. They, I believe that yoga feeds you bit by bit. And um, until you can't digest anymore, and then it kind of pulls back its claws a little bit. And it gives you a little bit of chance to digest, kind of see how that sits with you. And then uh, if you need more, it keeps coming back. And for me, that's kind of how my experience was between 20 and 30. When I was 24 and 25, I studied with Anna Forrest in California. When I got there, I got a couple of intensives and a 200 hour from Anna Forrest because she had a studio at the time there. And another one, it was my boyfriend at that time's sister who practiced with Anna Forrest. And so that 
kind of really sunk me in. I was, uh, oh, I was just taken by Anna Forrest. If you, if you don't know of her, she's an amazing, amazing woman. And I do. I thought, didn't she come, didn't she have a studio here in Seattle? Oh, you know what? She, she was on Orcas Island. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if she did something in Seattle. I think that's what she, when she left California, I think, which is like 07, 08, I knew she was spending a lot of time up on Orcas Island. Uh, but left yeah. a lot of her students there. And so I continued to practice. So from about 24 to about 27, I uh, was just practiced almost every day. And I was very, I didn't care about the asana. I just remember seeing people getting into these very twisted up postures. And I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, I, I knew I had a fire. I felt a lot of fire, you know, and then life happened. Life came in like a tsunami almost. And all of the, the rubbish of my past where I had just kind of like tossed it into the back seat of a car. I was like, whatever, I'll deal with that later. That's for future Aaron. I don't want to do with it now. It was like <laughs> someone pulled the e-brake up and I was about 27 and a half and all that shit came flying forward. I, I didn't know how other way to cope with it uh, other than I, I started drinking heavily. And I, I think if you would have asked me when I was 15, if I would have become an alcoholic, I would have told you absolutely not. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and it was probably one of the best things that's happened to me, to be quite honest. I mean, not a lot of the things that happened during that time, but uh, it, and not to say that I didn't drink before that, because I did, and I had moments where things were, were difficult, but this is a big part of my yoga story and experience. And so from 27 and a half to about 30, uh, I, I went in through a downward spiral until I hit a rock bottom where, um, you know, there was really no other way out. I was taken in by a very gracious family who's my, my best friend friends and her mother and her sister that's now 30 that has Down syndrome. And I lived and shared a bed with her sister. And I got sober then at 30. And then I was also working in a bar that time. And oh boy. that was a bit difficult. <laughs> but next <laughs> yeah. door to the bar um, had a yoga studio and it was called the Yoga Nest. And I just remember walking by in the morning out there into the studio and that became my place. So I knew I still needed to make money. I had to, you know, pick my feet back up, my recovery story, you know, we can get into if you want to, but I'll fast forward through that just now to get to yoga. But I went through, I started going to yoga class before I had my day shift. And then I realized I needed a yoga class after the day shift because I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, everybody else was drinking and it's been a speech and it's summer or it's always summer, but it's sunny out. And so right. I went to the yoga studio. I eventually just basically became a fixture. <laughs> the owners gave me keys. <laughs> I cleaned the bathroom. I started painting murals all over the studio. If you ever see the studio, my work is all over it. Um, it's in a very popular downtown spot of Venice. I cleaned the floors. I cleaned the props. I hung out there. Um, I was just there <laughs> for quite some time, I'd say about a year and a half. And uh, still then, I did not care about the asana at all. I mean, I really was just fixated on on my this teacher saying, bring your foot to the top of the mat without a sound and from downward dog up into like a lunge position. I was like, that's interesting because that doesn't seem like that could ever happen. <laughs> and um, <laughs> because the way my foot comes up from downward dog to lunge is not quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought about that for a really long, and it was just, I decided to 
start to focus on the moments in between the postures. And that for me became the most important part of my practice and still today is. So from 30 on, I've been practicing every day, big or small, whatever it is, even if I don't want to, just showing up for myself means I'm showing up for everybody else around me. So for right now, yoga is still into my life and has been for the past six years. And I am still sober today. But that kind of brings us up to today. Since you did bring up your sobriety, I know that for a while there, you were sharing a little book that you were reading every Mm. morning that had. And that was sort of, I think, the first time I really dialed in on what you were doing in terms of your sobriety. Mm. Because usually I was just watching you and all of the beautiful things that you can do as you flow through your yoga. Do you find that those spaces in between the poses are the parts where you can have that deeper conversation with yourself? Yeah, exactly. I think that those are the parts where we want to rush, right? And We want to get our foot to the top of the mat because our brains are wired saying, I'm in downward dog and then I'm also going to lunge. We don't think about the in-between. And for me, that's kind of like having myself sitting at the bar and then having the beer on the other side. What's the moments in between? Where today, the luxury that I have is I have a pause button. I can pause myself in the middle between two objects and actually be conscious and aware. And before I had this practice, I wasn't, I wasn't capable of that. And I'm not saying I always am, because I'm not. <laughs> Sometimes I don't have a pause button right. in TK Maxx or TJ Maxx. Right. There's no pause there. I just consume and I buy everything. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have an awareness of that as I go through it. The book that you're referring to, it's a 24-hour-a-day book. It was uh, given to me from my sponsor, and she, uh, it was from the 70s. And I just feel that, like, I shared a little bit because I do feel that some of this stuff is just great daily reminders, um, whether you're in recovery or not. We're all uh, more or less on this, Vajaya is what uh, we talk about it in a yogic terms. It's just this idea of, of self-study, self-realization, self-connectivity. And uh, so it's just that whole entire process. So yeah, when we slow down and we come into that pause area, especially moving through asana, which for me, it was the most important thing because asana and as an artist, how my brain works is I need that something tangible. I need to touch it. I need to feel it to understand it. And so asana, when it came in, it was that tangibility for me that I could understand the inner workings of my brain and how, and, and myself and who I was in the face of adversity, who I was when I didn't want to do something, who I was when I was trying to rush to get through something. That is how I've been able to tangibly touch it on the mat through postures and take it out into life and apply it, even just getting caught off guard when someone is abrasive at the food store or whatnot. You know, we have this whole knee-jerk response, you know, will continue to happen. But hopefully that margin of I wish I could have, or I wish I would have done something different here gets a little bit smaller. It's interesting that you say that because I've been practicing for 25 years and teaching for almost 17 Mm. now. And everyone always, oh, you must be so balanced. You must be so zen. You must be. And I'm like, listen, I got an edge, okay? (laughs) Fuck is still my favorite swear word. Yes. And I'm sorry, but fudge or shut the door or whatever it is just does not work the same way to deliver the entire feeling behind something when fuck or shit does. So it's just 
I think it's so interesting that you made the comment about it allows you to be aware in that moment and it allows you to sort of, for me, it's sometimes it's releasing the regret. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just being able to do that self introspection, introspection, because like you, I mean, most people, they either stuff it in the trunk behind them or they lock it up in their pelvis and their hips. And I call that the junk drawer of the body where everybody puts everything that they don't want to deal with. And then, like you said, you slam on the brakes and everything comes forward. And it's like, you know what? You're the universe is telling you, you can no longer ignore this shit. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to unpack it and deal with it. But yesterday I was driving, I had my granddaughter in the car and it was slippery and I was going up a hill to turn and some guy rolled through a stop sign and then got mad because I pulled out in front of him and it was my turn to go. So he wrote, he wrote on my bumper with his brights turned (laughs) on for probably almost 10 minutes. Oh dear. And the Amazon Viking in me wanted to stop my car, get out and go back and knock on his windshield and say, do you always drive around being such a big dick? Because this is really (laughs) obnoxious. And then on the other side, it was like, you know, Sherry, in the overall scheme of things, you should just put your sunglasses on and ignore this guy because he's just an asshole. I go through things like that. And I think, you know, this is wasted energy. This is something that you really need to let go of. It's that time when I step on my mat after something like that, where it really makes me zero in on what's important and the breath happening and then being able to say the next time I'm going to do better. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just like, Oh, sorry. I think it's through those life experiences. I mean, that is exactly it though. Um, you said something just a couple of minutes ago of like, you know, you know, fuck is, is still one of my favorite swear words. You know, um, one of my <laughs> teachers had said like, this is kind of like the, the troubled human or the lonely hearts club uh, is what they refer to it as why you were drawn to yoga and why people were brought together here in this community of where like we really just didn't have anywhere else to go. And we're like, well, I guess I'll just try and breathe. <laughs> but we come in with a whole load of shit, right? I mean, so we're human. Yeah. Like I, I, I try to tell my students, especially if they're showing up for teacher trainings, like, no, I'm not going to be sitting here on a lotus flower. Like, you know, things will, I will say things inappropriate. I'm sure of it. And, and that, um, that's what's hard to see through social media all the time because of, of flow. You just see my flows and Sometimes people read, sometimes people don't read. (laughs) Um, So, but I have a full, full personality and I'm always full of jokes. So yeah, I think it's like completely relative and relatable for people to experience that. Like, yes, I just got mad at this person on the road and I didn't, I know I had to have a moment with myself there. And then I had to sit down with myself later on at the mat and be like, okay, dear, what happened there? You know, but that's the whole idea of like the pause button. It's like not necessarily... Did we completely change? We were still affected by that situation, right? But we had an opportunity to say, okay, wait a minute, let's reflect, you know? So before in my old life, I would have never reflected. I would have just reacted. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I think that it's uh, important for people to see all sides of a yoga teacher, yoga practitioner, and to feel yeah. that, especially when people are new and coming into the practice and they're coming in with their, their everything from their trunk in their lap, like, dear God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and it's so interesting to me to see new people come to yoga and them saying to me, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I'm afraid I'm doing it wrong. I don't want to look different than anybody else. I'm not very flexible. And I was like, welcome. We all had to start at the beginning. It's going to be okay. And if the only thing that you walk out of this room with today is that you took a deeper breath than when you walked through the door, then consider that a win. Every time you step on your mat, it's a different practice. It, you have to let go. And that's been the hardest thing for me. I mean, I was a ballerina for 17 years. Wow. I played competitive softball for over 30. So I had this very competitive edge. I had to really learn to let go of the expectation that when I stepped on my mat, that everything I did the last Last time I could do this time. Oh yes, that I my poses would look the same. It would all flow the same. I I mean I went through a four month time period where every time I stepped on my mat, it was the most arduous task to be there. Yeah, yeah, and really forced me to stay connected. And there were times when I grumbled my way through my practice mm -hmm. for whatever. And, you know, I'd come away from my mat going, you know, this is something that you can now take back to your students when you teach is that every time you step on your mat, you need to bring an open heart and open mind and a curiosity about what your body has to tell you yeah. and to lean into that instead of to fight it. I mean, exactly. It's, mm -hmm. um, I, I use this like uh, analogy and I, so as far as like the teaching of yoga, I didn't properly answer that question. I didn't start teaching until uh, I taught briefly in my twenties, in my mid twenties, I taught briefly in my mid twenties for about two, two and a half years or so until that that big <laughs> tornado tsunami came into my world. And um, then I obviously didn't teach during that time period. And then uh, once I kind of was getting my footing, and I would say about a year back into sobriety, I was starting to teach publicly at the Yoganas again. Uh, however, I've been teaching art since I graduated college as well. And more along the lines of some of the stuff that Steph, my, um, my business partner and co-teaching partner, and I, I discuss a lot is this idea of cultivating creativity, that mm -hmm. this, you know, movement and breath linked to it, it's just another language, another medium to be used to cultivate a creativity in your life. And I don't mean in a sense of like just making something look pretty, but it also is a tool to kind of help help loosen the parameters of like our idealistic or our, our labels in which we set ourselves in. So at any kind of person, whatever artist that you are, that you are, whether that be a writer, uh, a coder, <laughs> uh, a painter, a musician, right. I mean, anything can really be an art form. It is what your passion, so where passion lies. And so when it came from movement and for me and my journey with that, um, that was, I had, to I had to release my paintbrush because the movement yeah. became so strong for me. And I was self-validating through my own paintings. And I was like, oh, I was like intimidating and self-validating through myself in, in my own work in the studio. <laughs> it was just it was vicious discussion always, just me in the room though. <laughs> and um, <laughs> shit, and then I was amazing. <laughs> Um, all in the oh, same time, yeah. right? So to talk about picking up a different medium, you know, it's like, but I'm not this, but this can help you learn about that. It can, if you can just release control. So the idea of, of what I always think about is like this fish, you know, and I, the idea of creativity, of movement, whatever it would be for you. If you were to try and hold this fish tightly, like super tightly with your fingertips around it and squeeze it, what could happen to the fish? It could either like jump out of your hands or you could, you could potentially kill the, the poor fish. Probably not because it's quicker than you. But <laughs> point being is there's a, there's a faith in the process. So 
you were talking about that communication to self, that, that trust in the faith of the process of being in that space of allowing your body to communicate back to you. So it's that space in between would be the fish. So if you were to just release the fish and like have that faith that like your process is going to swim with you and around you and communicate back to you, then there you have it. And that's the practice, you know, that's so much easier said than done. You know, it's like those are the bigger things that is a constant surrender and releasing and relinquishing too. of like, um, sometimes I am a little child and I'm sitting on top of my fish. And <laughs> like, what am I doing with my fish today? <laughs> you know, and like, or I buried it like a dog in like the garden out back, you know, and I so it's just, um, it's interesting to see how we allow ourselves the freedom or the lack thereof of communication with our body, with our breath, with our mind, because there's all these different containers that we put ourselves in um, all the time. And it's just okay, you know, whatever it is, it's okay. Just it's that a, it's just being able to see it for what it is at that moment in time. I think that's where we get the most power from our practice. And you're absolutely right about postures. I mean, I will tell you that, girl. I have never, I mean, my postures change on the daily. I'm like, how on earth did I do that yesterday? (laughs) I mean, sometimes some things come out of me in a fury where I'm in the bathtub and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a seated pike press to a crow press to a titty boss in a press down through an L sit back up through whatever. I'm just pulling this out right now. I don't know what I'm saying, but this is what I'll say in the bathtub and I'll be ready. I'll get out of the bathtub. I throw on something really quick and I'm like, I'm going to do this amazing flow. And I do it. I mean, I do it. And it's like, I don't even understand where that came from. It moved through me. And then the next day I'm like, Oh, here's, here's the discussion. This is where it happens. I intimidated myself. So I became bigger than I was the day before. And then I intimidated myself. So I show up on the mat and I'm now anxious. And I'm like, oh, can I be what I was yesterday? Can I feel that good? So then I felt validated. I felt good from what I did the day before. So then I said, all right, like make yourself feel good today. Do that practice again. Can I do it? No, because that's where the real practice is. How can you get through those moments of like not allowing the postures to be everything? It's hard. I want to make sure that we don't miss this. I want to go back and talk about social media uh, okay. because I have some questions about that. But I think that when you, like when you say you're sitting in the bathtub and you're visualizing mm-hmm. what you're what you're going to do and then you get out and you do it, you're you're actually seeing it. There are times when you step on your mat, you haven't visualized anything. Sometimes for me, that's where I just start flowing to music. Mm-hmm. I just my body. And sometimes that works easier than others. And it's the thing that I try to explain to everybody is that each time you step on your mat, it's a different practice. Your headspace is in a different place. Your body feels differently. I see so many students walk through the door that aren't even living in their Mm -hmm. bodies for the most part. They're side, they're behind themselves, whatever it is, because they've removed themselves because it's either physically, spiritually, or emotionally easier for them to not be in tune with what's going on. I mean, and I understand that. (laughs) You know, I get that. (laughs) And I feel so honored to actually watch 
some of these people come back into themselves and to hear them, if they're, if they're, they become a regular to hear them come back to me and say, I was stressed out at work the other day and something was going on. And she said, and I heard your voice and you were talking about taking those full deep breaths and really letting the exhale happen Mm -hmm. and to just sort of be able be in the moment and absorb what's going on without having to react. And she's like, that's the first time that's ever happened to me. Gives me a big hug. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? This is why I teach yoga is to be able to serve somebody who then actually can come back to me and say, oh my God, mm-hmm. that was so illuminating or that was so wonderful for me to go through. So it happens, but it doesn't happen overnight. Like I said, I've been practicing for 25 years. My practice now is so much different than where yeah. it was. I'm in, I'm in my, my fifties. My body doesn't move yeah. the same way that it used to. And so I have to pay a lot of attention to that. And now I'm really into somatic movements, functional movements, mm-hmm. things that actually go through full range of motion that maybe aren't necessarily always considered traditional yoga, mm-hmm. but they're great way to warm up the body to get ready to move into a different s- space in the practice. I do. S- so mm-hmm. let's, sorry. Go ahead. Um, just speaking to the idea of function of movements, dynamic movements, full range movements, I do feel that especially in uh, Western yoga that it's kind of taking on a little bit of a different shape as far as my experience. And I wouldn't yeah. even say, I mean, Western, even just being here in England as well, like in class this morning, I took this wonderful lady and she was doing all of these different types of range of motion movements in her yoga class. And And, you know, so, you know, don't necessarily need to get into the topic of like, what is yoga? What isn't yoga? But the idea of that we are functionally trying to move our bodies with breath and associate it with improving ourselves. Improvement, not in like, because we want to be like a a Lance Armstrong or whatever, but finding the level of our best self. And why is that, you know? So why do we want to find our best self? So it it comes back for me that I can't answer for everybody and all my students and and everybody out there practicing in the world. But for me, it's service, you know? Why I teach is because this was given to me. And I, and I, it's my job. This is just, I'm supposed to be, and I am of service because this has been given to me and I don't, I don't see any other way. And I was like that with art as well. Um, I mean, I'm like that with a lot of things. If I'm stronger than somebody in the food store and they can't pick up their bags, I'm get, I'm right now healthy and I can pick up the bag. So I do that service. And that goes back to being the best, the best person and the best uh, foot forward that you can do. (laughs) Yes. I get asked a lot in the grocery store to get things off the top yes. shelf when you're almost six feet tall. I get the, the little old ladies who come up and I get this gentle tap on my arm. Could you reach that box up there? I can't seem to reach it. You bet. Sure, you know what? I would ask you the same question. <laughs> well, I'll get you something on the bottom shelf. <laughs> awesome. I love that. That's a long ways to bend over. Uh, so, let, let's let's tap back into social media a little bit because I, I don't know how long you've been on Instagram. But I've been on Facebook for, I don't know, 10 years. Mm. But I've been on Instagram for, oh God, maybe six, five, six uh-huh. years. And it's so different from when I started. Oh. When I first started, it was just, all you could do was just post pictures. Mm. And, you know, I was taking pictures of the beach, of my walk, stuff I found on the ground when I was walking, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I started hooking up with these <clears throat> yoga 
people who were doing like yoga challenges that were really cool. And I learned how to use my phone and use editing apps. And then of course things changed and then you could start doing video on Instagram and all of a sudden there was this thing called influencers and people were making money mm. off of their, their Instagram accounts. And then I just started to see this very ugly underbelly mm. of social yeah. media of people who have no internal stop sign that keeps them from spewing awful, hateful things to someone that they don't know mm. is a snapshot in time of someone's life that's very curated like you said it is it is not all the other things that go into making up your life every day there are people who take the same they might take 80 to 100 photographs before they pick one that then they edit and then they create this whole look that then goes up on their feed and it's beautiful I love to look at that, but I also love the stories where there's just people doing their shit and laughing at themselves and you talking about eating carrots and (laughs) having a head of broccoli as big as your head or, you know, whatever it is. But I just, how do you find balance with using that and, and sharing so much of yourself as well as then finding the spaces in between that are just yours, that just belong in your heart that you don't necessarily share with the rest of the world? Right. <clears throat> That's a great question. <laughs> I was brought on to, I was definitely, I mean, never a tech savvy person. Um, my best friend in high school made my Facebook page for me. And, <laughs> and then somewhere along the lines, I had an art show and the gallery was like, what's your hashtag? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? What's that? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, what's I'm going to have to ask some help for that. So then I, you know, I I got, hence Erin Kelly Art. That that was because I used to use, I, whatever, I did it for the gallery, but what nothing ever went on there. Um, <laughs> I, I was just never into... Social media. I, I grew up uh, really without a lot. I didn't have a TV growing up. The, our phones were on the wall with a cord. That yeah. this and this was. I didn't have a. I didn't have a cell phone until college, uh, and it was like a brick phone. You know, there was no picture. I had yeah. to like go through ABC, ABC, ABC. <laughs> um, so, you know, when all this stuff started coming out, I was. It just wasn't my thing. So that that's my spiel on that. So, but when I, I let's see, I met Steph. Uh, I don't exactly remember what year, maybe four, four and a half, five years ago now, um, in Nicaragua. We were in a teacher training with Megan Curry. She and I uh, obviously became best friends like within seconds. <laughs> I didn't know who she was. Everybody kept calling her Casa. It was Steph Gongora, Casa Calibre on on social media. I was like, why do they keep calling you House in Spanish? <laughs> And she's like, oh, that's my part of my social media name. And I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And it's the first day we're there. And I had still never seen us in a level that big, like what people can really do with their bodies. Now, I'd been practicing every day. I was I was primed. I would I had a mean downward dog against the wall. I was like fierce with it. I mean, I I could do a good crow feeling good. And then so we had gotten to the training and uh, step. I was like, let's go play handstands on the beach. And when I meant play, I really did mean like a six year old would play cartwheels after dinner. Like (laughs) and then I saw Steph 
And she just did this like press up into this. I don't even know what she was doing. I looked over and I was like, oh, boy, dear God. <laughs> I don't know if I came to the right training. This all gets back to social media. At that point, I then started talking with her and I saw that she was hosting a challenge during that moment in time right and because she was like on the feed the t- the hashtag feed and i was like oh what are you doing all right and, I, and then i she had told me like oh they we, i do these fun challenges where you know it's just kind of like at that moment that was when i came in and uh i don't so again that must have been four and a half years ago or something like that now it's like enamored i was like oh my gosh i can learn all these cool things and everybody's like sharing yes. it and we were all a community gosh it was, it was so amazing yeah. i loved it i mean i was joining all these challenges i was super active and i was i learned how to press basically off of like uh, i think her be a happy amy i don't know if you know her anyway yes. Yes. She just taught, she, I mean, she just, all I needed to hear was that one cue. You know, that's just how we are in the practice. Like that one cue changes everything. Uh, so I, I started doing that. Now, yeah, it did kind of turn pretty quick. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it for that. I still enjoy it. But I, I was, you know, I felt like it was, I was part of something then. And then, right. you know, I think then at that, and you know, this is just my opinion. I think then... Uh, possibly it was realized that it's a really big marketing thing. Like it's free. Well, well Facebook bought Instagram and that's when everything started. Oh to my gosh. I think that was when like everybody was like, hold the phone. And I remember people at that point, uh, my account uh, grew, I guess, relatively quickly. I mainly think it was because of Rufus, my cat, but whatever. <laughs> we love Rufus. <laughs> um, he's the best. I'm aware of that. But yes, uh, my account grew and I uh, companies would reach out to me and say, hey, like, hey, do you want a pair of leggings? Just posting them. And like at first I said, sure. You know, but then the big, well, yeah. the bigger questions happened, you know, like after that, like I, uh, I, I realized I didn't really want it and I didn't feel like wearing their neon leggings, you know. It just wasn't. I was like, these are really ugly, actually. And um, now I have these leggings, and what am I going to do with them? And you know, I just I saw a land of consumerism that was just well, well, up behind, far beyond me, because I'm really a big time thrift store shopper. That's like where I can definitely not pause in the thrift store. So I, I was never accustomed to things with real tags on them. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I started to decline these things because I just didn't feel that authenticity, the, authentically I could flow in bright green leggings that didn't fit. Didn't feel bright. It wasn't what I wanted or what my bath time envisioned. I envisioned this white flowy skirt or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for me, then I, I did started to change and I felt like things were kind of getting segregated out of people that were becoming influencers and people that uh, were choosing not to become influencers and still just to stay a part of the community. And if it's not obvious <laughs> by uh, my choice, I, I have not, I do not work with any companies on a financial uh, way. <laughs> if I say anything about a company, it's because I've either like purchased it and I like it <laughs> or yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> and the conversation that I had with Steph, because I, I watched you guys creating your own content mm. as well as you did a little bit with, what was it called before they merged with Aloe Cody? Yoga and turned yeah. into Aloe Moose? Yeah, mm-hmm. Cody. So there was yeah. Cody and I know you guys did some of that. 
And then I know you guys have done a few classes on Ohm stars, mm -hmm. but what's really impressive to me is that the two of you have found a way to kind of be able to, you've got this fluidity in what you do with your, your business approach to it is that you still maintain your own control over a lot of your own, what I would refer to as intellectual property, because mm -hmm. that's basically what it is in terms of what you're doing with the yoga classes. It's interesting to see how all of these things have kind of shaken out and what's gone on and who's gone where and, and how it all works. Mm -hmm. It's something that a lot of people and people my my own age, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of odd because at my, I've worked in technology before there were women in, de in technology. Mm. And I'm not talking about in a support role. I carried a toolbox. I built computers. I installed wow. things. And so I've, I've always <laughs> been into technology, right? And when, when iPhones came out, I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And just I, you know, I've owned every version of the iPhone that there is up until this last one here. Yeah. So it's just interesting to me to be able to look at that. And when people say someone's making money off of doing things on their Instagram, it's like, yeah, well, you can do I it. I mean, I, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's work. I mean, but yeah. for me, I just know. All right. Let, let me put it like this. Uh, there was a point in time when I was about 26, 25, 26, where I was doing really well with my art, my art career. And I was in Los Angeles. And I was selling a lot of work and I was in a lot of galleries. Um, and then I started uh, renting out a lot of my work to stagers, uh, which would stage um, million, 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 like 15, 16, 20 million dollar mansions in Malibu. Uh, and they would, you know, give me money for each month for them renting my work out for these staged homes. And then it was an option for people to buy. And then I started working with uh, very wealthy people and they wanted to commission me for more. And now that first original line of work came from me. And then now the right. the person wants me to they wants me to make something to match their couch, and I really right. really struggled, and so I could I was going to ask about I couldn't get uh, the same language out. I was now confined, and I I don't work like that. And that for me was part of what, a little bit of what kind of sent me into the, I got a little bit of an emotional funk right before uh, alcoholism and, and drug uh, addiction became such a big part of my story. And so for me, I knew that my Instagram, my flows, how I, what I put up there, what my writing, it's, uh, it's all artistic uh, expression for me. And like I said, when I, I dabbled in it because I, I you know, I, I, Never had a nice pair of yoga leggings. So when someone offered to give me a pair, I was like, oh, wow, Absolutely. I'll take her. Yeah. And then I, it was not feeling <laughs> right. And then, you know, I, so that's the best way I can kind of pair it out of where I couldn't get what I wanted out to, you know, saying like, and then right. these are buy this or buy this. This is the new Black Friday right. sale. It didn't, doesn't feel like me. Just like with my artwork, if you like what I've created, you can purchase it. So if you like how I teach, if you like uh, and you want to continue to learn more, by all means, come and I will I will give you everything I have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when it came time to, to choosing to um, to collaborate in uh, with um, corporations and stuff, I, I it wasn't for me, but I see that it's for a lot of people. And I do see that, you know, some people are very happy with that. You know, I believe that you should pursue whatever 
makes you feel like you are doing something that speaks deeply to you. And there are a lot of people, it's just like a post I posted yesterday about settling and the stories that we tell each our, uh -huh. ourselves about settling in life mm -hmm. and then letting our stories become those things that then confine and define us instead of having them just be mm -hmm. a piece of the puzzle of who we truly yeah. are. It's so interesting to me when you were just talking about your art and how you create your art and then someone would say, I want you to match my couch. Mm -hmm. I've been making jewelry for 30 years. It's always been, and this is something I think that I read either from Brene Brown, I can't remember who it was, but talking about that as humans, we are all creative, whether that means you are creative with mathematics, mm -hmm. whether that means you're creative with arranging flowers, with making clothes, you know, whatever it is, we as human beings are hardwired to be creative. Mm -hmm. So when you're used to your process looking a certain way, I always create jewelry for people that I love or people that I know as an expression of how I see them. Mm. And I have done some shows where I've just created, you know, some work and sold it and done fine. But I have a really hard time with trying to take that into a space where I actually could potentially earn a living yeah. from that because then it becomes work and then it's no longer creative. Mm -hmm. Then it's no longer something speaking from inside of me that comes out into whatever this piece is or however it comes to be. And I, I kind of got that sense from what you were saying is the same kind of thing for you is that when you paint, it's coming from somewhere deep inside of you and to have somebody give you some sort of parameter just does yeah. not work. No, I mean, it's, it's come stems from deep inside of me, but it's also moving through me, you know, and it's, it's the same with uh, yoga movements and this whole, this whole entire journey and how it's taking form. And you, uh, just to backtrack about balance, about, uh, I didn't answer that, about balance and social media. I do keep a lot of, uh, a lot of me for myself. <laughs> a lot of people, I don't mind sharing here on a podcast with you about my separation from my life partner, but I'm, I'm not going to put it in words on a social media platform. I mean, I, I've alluded to things, I allude to things, but I'm not going to have a direct conversation about it because a, like, I'm respecting my, my, my ex-partner's uh, life. And um, so there's definitely aspects about myself that's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Like, I, I, I specifically stop my communication at certain parts of my life just because, again, I don't want to um, make other people feel uncomfortable. And I also don't want to always be on the phone. Blogging, which I just found out was a word. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's that? Vlogging? I was like, oh, do I do that? Am I a vlogger? <laughs> sort of are. I didn't know what I am. I found that out. <laughs> well, it's because you just do you and you don't need to have a label in order to define it. That's that's part of what I love about how you share your yoga practice online is that you just do what speaks to you. You're not and just an aside, we're going to have to have an, an episode where it's you and Steph and I, and we talk about yoga and yes, what's sure. going on in the world, because I think that, that's a whole episode. It really all is. It really is. <laughs> those things where the thing for me, I mean, I can't remember how long ago I found you. It's been a you, while. I, we've been talking for a while. Long yeah. time. And, and I, you know, 
when you guys were in Seattle, I came and took one of your workshops and that's been a couple of years ago now. But the thing that attracts me is that you are truly just who you are. There's no artifice. There's no, it's not, you're not trying to sell me something every time. And I love your sense of humor. I love that you, that you laugh at yourself, that you, that you can find this fluidity in life that allows you to move through everything that you're moving through and maintain some sort of equilibrium. And I'm sure on some days it's better yeah, than others, yeah. <laughs> but that to me is, is what is what impresses me. And, and that's a part of the, the social media for me is that I am drawn to the people who are holy themselves. And I, the word authentic has been over. Totally has. I <laughs> for me, it's about is the deeper part of who you are is what's coming through in your actions and your words and what you're doing. And it's, you know, there, there are a very few people that I go and look for every time I log in and your account is one of wow. them. So it's just one of those things where for me, it's, I, I can't do some of the same things that people can do with their bodies anymore. Cause I got too many busted up yeah. parts, but go and look at the beauty of what someone else can do and how amazing that is. And it doesn't intimidate me, but the thing that concerns me is that there are so many people out there that are new to yoga that are trying to develop a practice by seeing, by doing what yeah. they see on Instagram yeah. and not having a good quality instructor, not having someone that can actually help them make sure that their body placement is correct and not injuring themselves. It's, it is. It's it, so interesting. It is really, a, it's, um, it's challenging coming, yeah. uh, especially getting students from Instagram uh, and they want, they, they see it and they're like, oh, I want, I'll teach me. And then, uh, and then, yeah. you know what I say when that happens? I'm like, okay, let's work from bringing our foot up to the top of the mat and down my dog. And they're like, no, I want to do that other thing. And I'm like, nope, this is really where you're going to find those answers. So we're going to do that for like the next hour and a half. <laughs> but it's true, you know, for me and my experience, I really believe that. Again, like I didn't know what half this stuff was. I just, I just assumed I'd never do any of it. And some things aren't for me, you know. Some things I will probably never do. <laughs> um, and I'm okay with that. I really am. <laughs> but you have to get okay with it. At one point, I was not okay with it, and I was like, I don't understand why I'm not bending like that person. But again, that's that tangible discussion having with self, and like that is the whole idea of the practice. For me, is again coming back to you. I since I have a minor in psychology, I'm I am very very interested in human behavior, how we are constructed, okay. how we were constructed before we had a rational mind from like you know the age of like whatever zero to to five six. Uh, however, uh, we want to see that, but that's where we were programmed, and these automatic response systems that we have are in place are the same things that we see turning up onto the mat when we throw little tantrum tantrums. Like I don't want to bring my foot up softly. Screw that. Nobody looked. I'm going to pick it up and move it there. <laughs> you know, that's where the, that's where it is. Uh, because you soon are going to be a hot force. If you want to press, you have to have those conversations while you're balancing on your hands. <laughs> you know, like, and then remembering, you know, all of the cues at the same time and like what you want to incorporate. It's a, it's a very fun little dance. And I like it personally. But um, again, it is very challenging to... Put this out on the in on in uh, I call it the Instagram or the interwebs 
and you know uh, have young women and young men say like, oh, I want this. Uh, we are facing such a different society today of where like instant gratification is so it's all freely given. Yeah. And so the hard work, uh, it's it's not something that's accustomed. It's, again, it's not programmed from from a young age since now we've had technology around for quite a bit now. Um, so it is uh, it is it is something that I think could be talked about in a very big group discussion. <laughs> and for me, it's like when someone new comes in, it's like we all had to start at the beginning and we have to we have to learn from the feet mm. up, right? The feet are your, your grounding, your base of support. And was like, well, I did, you know, this, the, that and the other thing. I was in gymnastics. I was, you know, I was a ballerina. I still walked into a yoga class and went. I don't know what that fuck yeah. I'm doing, but stuff with body placement and alignment, the old dancer and me perked up and went, Hey, yeah. I recognize this. I really, <laughs> this, this is fun. The thing that I found outside of dance where my body was moving and I could have this conversation with myself. And I didn't realize because I started ballet at four, that that was what was a part of my life for so many years that I did it without even having to think about it anymore. Mm. How I learned how instrumental that was, was coaching teenage girls softball mm. and trying to get them to understand how to move their bodies mm. where for me it all made sense because I was mm. so body aware, but for a lot of those yeah. girls, they didn't have a that was. And so that really helped me in my teaching as well. It's like, you can't assume that everybody has the same understanding that you do. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to give them those anchors, those nuggets of wisdom, those things that allow them to be able to go, okay, now I need, now I know what I need yeah. to do. Um, and so it's just so interesting. Like, I don't have a degree in psychology. I have a degree in political science mm. and, and history, yeah. but I have always been so into where people came from, how they ended up with they are, where they are, what prompted them to make some of the choices and decisions they've made in their mm. life. And not and some people think I'm snoopy or nosy, but I'm curious, just curious. Yeah. I'm really curious about people's patterns of behavior. I'm curious about their choices and their decision making. I'm curious about the stories that they yeah. bring with them. And I've had to learn a lot about story. Mm -hmm. I've had to learn a lot about genetic familial mm. stories that get passed on to you and you think you have to own yeah. them. And how long it took me to realize I don't have to yeah. own that story anymore. I don't have to live that life. I don't have to have that fear. I don't have to be what somebody else believes I have to be if I listen to who I am in my heart. And I think that a lot of people have been conditioned to, and especially women, we're told what we should look like, what we should wear, what we can do and don't do, what we can and can't say. Mm -hmm. That's why this whole thing going on in politics right now is incredibly mm -hmm. important to me because... I don't want anybody telling me what I can and do, can and can't do with my body. I don't want somebody else telling mm -hmm. another woman what they can and can't do with their body. And the other thing that I've been looking at is anger mm -hmm. and that as we are not allowed to yeah. express our anger. It's ever loving mm -hmm. shit out of it because we've been told for so long, for generations, 
It's not ladylike to share your ang- show your anger. It's it makes you look emotional when you cry when right. you're angry. You just look messy. You know you look ugly when you're angry. Well, dude, you look fucking angry. You look mm-hmm. ugly when you're fucking angry. So don't do that shit. But it's this whole thing of women stuffing down their yeah, anger for so many years, suppressing emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just I look at that and I look at yoga, and yoga is such a release for so many people for that that it's amazing. It but. really, really, really is. And um, you know, when it comes to all of all of what you just spoke to, is so much and so fascinating to me, and and a lot of what drives me. Uh, even further is the this idea of like we can't you know we can't be angry we don't even really know what it is like I have this whole throwing plates exercise <laughs> sponsored by the thrift store <laughs> and it is uh, nice to see and to document even if you're in like let's just say like eagle arms and like what is that what right. I mean I used to growl like a like a rabid dog or whoever a bear in shalabasana <laughs> i mean growl like it's hard to growl there but i would be so i'd be like foaming i was like so furious so you know and then it is like being uh, depending on like what where we were raised um but the suppressing of emotions yeah. not being able to be angry, not being able to be heard, not being able to take up space. People ask me all the time, like, why don't you use a yoga mat? Doesn't it hurt your knees? Like, no, I'm taking up space today. Like, I'll use a mat yeah. in, a, in a public place, maybe. Depends. Um, I, I mean, I try not to, like, go all over the room in a public place. But if I'm home in my practice, I'm going to take up all of this space because I can't today. I'm tired of feeling small and being put in a box and what I should be and what I need to do, what I need to wear, what I, no, 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 I'm done with it. They're all yeah. going on inside my head all the time anyway. I don't need this. Here, oh, this yeah. you know, the choir is in full effect even right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, dear, I mean, we just got to try and find balance. But that's my, my focus is that for women especially, and, you know, not to segregate the men because we, I love them. I do too. I do too. <laughs> and and the feminine needs the masculine. Absolutely. There needs to be the balance between the Absolutely. two. Absolutely. And, it, and oh. it's, you know, I'm just going from my own experience of being a woman and, and, you know, what's been hard for me growing up. But again, it's not even like being nosy with men. It's curiosity. Like even the physicality of their bodies. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly yep. asking them questions about their lower back and hips all the time. <laughs> because they're different than mine (laughs) yeah and they are um yeah I know I mean it's just and I never I realize that we're never going to be when you're talking about that about their physicality about their bodies as women we will never be equal in terms of our strength in our body we just we're we're not built the same way our interior body workings are different than a man's and so that's that that's never going to happen and and I don't want to necessarily be as strong as a man I want to be as strong as a woman and I want to <laughs> I used to have a t-shirt that I wore when I played softball that said yes I'm a girl yes I'm an athlete yes I will kick <laughs> your ass and it was it was one, I think I found it at a thrift store, if I remember yeah. correctly, but it, it was it was this shirt that I wore because a lot of times played on the men's teams because I couldn't find enough competition mm. on a women's team. 
So it was very interesting to me to go and then to go play a pickup game and they pick all of the guys and then they pick me last. And then the next week I show up and some young kid goes, pick her. She hit it over the fence last week. <laughs> She's the winner. <laughs> so, you know, I, you look at things like that and I mean, it's been such a dichotomy for me because for one thing of my size, which there's nothing I can do about my size. I'm a large person. Mm. I come from a large family mm. and I've had more people say, you know, you take up a lot of the room, you uh, take up a lot of the space in the room. And, and I'm like, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. I went to, you know, I've worked off and on a couple of times in corporate and I am not a good corporate girl because I, I can't stand people telling me what to do. And I went into work after I lost a job and was out of work after the crash in 2008 and went into work for an online company. And I noticed that I was older than a lot of the other people there. There was a lot of young people there. And so they were willing to put up with the shit that management was trying to throw down for a startup company. And I was like, you know what? I've worked in startup companies. I didn't just fall off the hay bale. I'm not 24 years old, first time out of college. I got some mm. shit going on here. And my friend was like, Sherry, <laughs> she's like, you walk in the door. You're over six feet tall when you got your boots on. She said, you stand up tall. You walk with authority and confidence. And she said, and that intimidates yeah. a lot of people. And I said, so what am I supposed to do? I said, I'm not going to dumb it down and I'm not going to make myself look different. And she said, no, but she said, just know that in certain circumstances, you're always going to feel that wave of energy from yeah. people because they can't put you in a box and they can't control you. And she said, and they're going to try. And she said, and they're going to be unsuccessful because I know you well enough to know that you push back against that kind of stuff. And that pisses people off. And it yeah. does. They want to try and control me with money. They want to try and control me with this, that, or the other thing. And it's like, you know what? Fine. I'll go work somewhere else. I don't need to be here. True. Thanks. <laughs> But, you know, you, I, I look at stuff like that and I look at the stories, which is a part of the reason that I created this whole thing with the podcast and the website and all of that is to give women a platform to share their stories. The, all of the stuff, you know, we have we all have good stories, bad stories, the messy stories, the the in between. All of that is it's what makes up who we are. And so many women, especially women that are in midlife, have really never had the opportunity to share their stories or correct. They've never, they've never been given the platform. No one has asked them. No one has been. Well, I think this, this generation specifically within the forties, fifties, even some of the late thirties, we, you know, were raised, you know, to not share those types of things that they're almost shameful. And again, you know, it's yes. not, there's a, there's a fine line in between clenching so tightly to your story where that is your identity. Um, but you yes. know, and I, I hear a lot of times when people are like, I don't want to share about that. I'm embarrassed or like, I'm told not to, or, um, I don't want it to be my identity, but the idea of sharing your story is relatability. So when you yeah. can share your, you know, why do I share about sobriety? There's definitely some things in my past that I have not shared about publicly. Um, but when I get my students and I'm with them for a month long in the jungle, and if they open up to me about something, I will relate to them immediately so that they know that they're not alone. Um, you know, there's more yeah. things that are more for private purposes, 
well, reasons of why I share about sobriety is is because of the relate the relative blah, blah, blah. <laughs> me being able to relate to um, other people and vice versa because it's important to know that we're not alone and um, these yes. are all symptoms of stories so why we use drugs and alcohol why we use sex why we have eating disorders these are all symptoms of another story that happened to us that we haven't processed Correct. yet. Everyone has these stories. And each story is only significant to that individual, but really it's not because we're a product of our own conditioning. So we don't know any different than what we've already experienced. So that means that no matter if somebody was, you know, story could be a lot worse than yours, but you haven't experienced that, so you, you still might have those same deep levels of emotions being had within your body. And again, if we're not processing them or if these things are happening before we even have a rational mind to label it within ourselves, of, okay, this happened to me and this is why how I reacted, um, you know, we're left with, you know, the idea of like the body keeps the score. There's that amazing book out where our yes. body is, you know, holding this information, um, not really as a sabotage or thing, but it's as, as a protecting, as a, as a protecting mechanism. And, um, you know, I will share here that I definitely have had suppressed memories come up in yoga class in oh, postures yeah. where, you know, I think once you get far enough along with your study with your body, you can pinpoint like I got something sitting in there. And like, I don't know if yes. it's ever going to come out. But like, you know, I said I knew something was sitting in part of my body. So I a year went in, I just breathed every time we had an opportunity to stretch that area at the end of class, because I go to a lot of classes as well teach, I would breathe, breathe, breathe. And then out of nowhere, a repressed memory came up. Not that I was going for that. But <laughs> I knew that I wanted to have that freedom that that hinge was rusty and locked within my body. And there's a difference between injured or holding, you know, and I was holding there. Uh, I still am. But anyway, I digressed off a little bit on uh, human behavior and kind of the relativity of women and the freedom of, the, of, uh, of us expressing our stories and what they are. I do think there's an empowerment with sharing our stories, but I do think there's a very fine line of using it as a, as a victimizing tool. Um, I think that our stories can be empowering. I don't think they, they necessarily need to feed into that anymore. No, and that's that's the biggest thing for me is that just getting, so the, the original blog post, the Woman of the Week on my blog came from a focus group that I put together on Facebook of 70 plus women, ranging in age from my 21-year-old niece to somebody who I believe is close to 70. Mm. And just asking them some questions. And the response I got back from a lot of them was, are these answers okay? Or, and it's like, this is not for me. You can change whatever you want. No, this is for you to sit down and have a conversation with yourself, to take the time out of your busy day, because I think a lot of us stay busy so that we don't have to have those deeper conversations with ourselves and to sit down and have a conversation. And here's the other thing. A lot of them would say, well, I don't really have anything that's that important. Well, you know what? The smallest yeah. story the most important thing to someone else hearing it or reading it that you don't even know that that totally impacted their life yeah. because we are all interconnected. We are all as, as humans, we are genetically made to be a part of the tribe. We are not made to be alone. And I just feel that there are so many people out there that are lonely. Mm -hmm. 
that are are seeking connection, they're seeking community. I mean, that's what I was seeking, and that's a part of the reason what spurred me on to create this yeah. whole thing. I think it's amazing is that it's so easy to get busy. It's so easy to think about all the balls you have to keep in the air, and you you know you could be dealing with chronic illness. You could be dealing with taking care of children or grandchildren or an aging parent and all of those things that you have to do, where in there do you take care of yourself? And those are the only times that you're going to be able to actually have those conversations to put the story in perspective, to not let it define you, to not let it turn you into a victim, to not let it be tool of, I get to have this behavior because this and this and this and this happened to me. And it's like, you can step back and look at it and go, why did therapist who once said to me, she said, Sherry, she said, you're holding on to something that happened to you 25 years ago. And she said, and it's still a scab and you're still picking at the scab. She said, I want you to get to the point where you have a scar from that scab. And when you see that scar, you can look at it and go, oh yeah, this happened to me. And then you move on. But she said, when you continually pick at that scab, it just stays there and stays there and stays there and stays there. And you're stuck yeah. in that space. Well, I mean, it's still keeping the wounds um, open and fresh. And uh, I, I, I just, I fear, but I pray. Um, I think it is very easy to stay in a cycle of victimizing ourselves this cycle of validation within from it and it is so delicate because we're doing it because of something uh traumatic that had happened right and um and it's a cry for help but also a pattern a patterning of um like a duvet cover over us kind of to protect ourselves and um so it is a very delicate thing i do i pray that through each time that happens for all of us as humans that we will be able to shift our uh, our sense of the way we speak because words are really everything. Words are extremely, extremely powerful. The right. way they are in our brains, the way they come out of our mouths and that we are able to shift that that self-talk of, of validating or victimizing ourselves through our experiences to empowering, to accepting. And it's not like we have to you know, sit at a podium and, and shout out our story. Um, of empowerment oh. and the really the empowerment happens. I can't tell you the amount of messages that I get on a daily basis that it's like, my God, thank you so much for sharing this. I'm right here, kind of different, but a little bit the same. And I, I, I needed this. And that's the thing. And I have done that to other people yeah, I, on the daily, <laughs> even if it's the person at the, at the, you know, convenience store, that's like, I feel like shit today. I'm like, dang girl, me too. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> heard we're we're on the same wavelength. All right, <laughs> those are the connections that humanize us and help us see that we are more alike than we are different. I feel that the political machine has created the situation where they want to pit people against each other, and someone has to win and someone has to lose instead of being able to sit down and have a conversation and say, "You believe this, you believe that, you believe something else, and I believe this now, how can we sit and have a conversation where we can hear each mm. other and realize that we are more similar than we are different, mm. and that when someone plays off of our fears it kicks us into a space where we're no longer being present in the moment. And those people that are out there working out their shit on other people, whether it be through 
treating people shitty yeah. when they go to get something at a restaurant. They treat their server shitty. They right up to the fact of of people killing other people with guns because yeah. they can't seem to figure it out. It, it's it's learning how to recognize and acknowledge what's going on inside of you and to be able to realize you're going to have good days and bad days, but you need to do the work. Yeah. It is so true. And it doesn't just happen. It's just like you're not going to walk onto your mat the first time you walk into a class and do a handstand. <laughs> it, it never, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I know. It. I so I, I just. The other day that was, um, their message was, uh, I walked into my kitchen and I tried to do uh, that one of those handstands where you press, press down and your legs go up <laughs> and I couldn't do it. And I was like, <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> is there a question or like, what do you, what, what do you want to know? When you tried once, you don't practice and <laughs> you, you couldn't do it. Like, something's wrong with you. No, no, nothing's wrong with you. Nope, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing with emotional workings as well. I mean, and everybody has a different timeline. Everybody, moves through different phases at different speeds. Not everybody is at the same level. I had my very good friend, Sadie Nardini, who I met many years ago. And she said, Sherry, I truly believe that people receive exactly in the time that they're open to receive. So some message could show up and bump up against mm -hmm. you multiple times before you actually can then go, oh yeah. And I said, I call that stepping in the same bucket over and <laughs> making the same mistake over and over again. Until you wake up one day and go, you know, I'm tired of stepping in You're that bucket. That and today. All wet. <laughs> it's one of those things where I try and keep an open mind and an open heart and realize that everybody is doing the best that they can and trying to live with as much grace as they can. And some people have a space and time in their life where they can do that easier or different or better than somebody yeah. else. But I have a question yes. for you. What is it that you purposely leave undone in your life? That I purposely leave undone by what? Do you have an example or? No, just is there something that you just purposely say, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to finish that or I'm without telling yourself, I, I started a project and I didn't finish it. Oh my God, I'm going to be a failure. But something that you got into, you started working with and then you got in and do it went, you know, I, this is not really where I need to be. Or huh. Gosh, it's an interesting question because for me, I was just talking about I have this project I'm working on here in England and uh, I was with a friend and he was in the living room and I started picking up. I got these devil sticks. Do you remember those? They're like little sticks and you hit back and forth. And he was yeah. like, don't you need to work on your uh, project? And I was like, I am. And I guess for me, uh, and as an artist, I've always had multiple paintings on deck. Each one has a different layer. It's in a different drawing process and uh, all of the, the way that goes. So it's kind of like been like uh, dancing around in the, in the art studio. Um, same thing with postures on the mat and like finding a, a new flow and a relationship to asana, from one asana to the next is that I feel that things that don't even appear that they would be helpful or productive to a project, in fact, are everything to it. So again, uh, this project that I was hitting a dead end with, and I was like, I can't possibly, you know, it's that whole forcing yourself to complete something, pick up something else, pick up another language, learn something new. So I got these little, they're, they're like little juggling sticks. If you don't know what I'm talking about with devil sticks, it's just like two little sticks and you knock one back and forth. And 
And that's what my mind needed because I was like running around in a circle with this one project. Left undone. For me, I have a lot of pots on the stove. Most often, I always do. And I'm always kind of stirring them. Uh, do I finish everything? Absolutely not. I wrote a book on core last year and I never released it. I remember yeah. you talking I about that. I wrote the whole book. I wrote the whole entire book. Um, I never released it because it actually started me writing what I wanted to write. <laughs> well, so that's a very good example of leaving yeah, something. Yeah, so undone. that would be I am now writing something um, completely different. Um, and, you know, for me, I guess that was what I mean of, like, allowing the process to continue. I went in with this idea. I come into asana and I'm like, I want to learn to handstand. I come into this painting and I'm going to paint this. It's the fish. Uh, letting the fish swim with you, right? And I said, I'm going to write this book on core because everybody wants to know about core. And, I mean, I teach core all the time. You've been to my workshop. I'm about core. I'm all about the understanding of core from your chin down to your knees, uh, allowing this to take form into something else. And even though, I mean, I did all the pictures, the table of contents, I mean, down to like the copyright page. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just didn't feel like me. And I'm glad I did it because now I can really articulate my uh, speech about the core a lot better. And maybe one day it will feel a little bit more like me. I'm not um, too tight to it. But as uh, somebody that has struggled with writing her whole entire life to be able to have this one new project on deck. There's two that I'm, I'm doing with writing right now, but uh, it's really exciting that this is a you know new, malleable, uh, creative language for me. So I'm, I'm excited about it for myself. And that's part of my practice today. <laughs> Love that. We've just been chatting yes. and chatting and chatting. And I am so happy that you were available today to join me for this. And I know that you're not necessarily celebrating Thanksgiving oh, no, there I in England. Today. But, I made uh, um. I mean, uh, well, I decided this morning I was really grateful for uh, today. Just, uh, you know, we say we could be grateful every day, but I was like really grateful for today. So I went to the little corner store after yoga class and I got apples. I made apple crisp and I decided to just to have a little party. Good. Good <laughs> um, for you. So, yeah, I, uh, I made mashed potatoes and um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm kind of doing my thing. Just kind of there just my first celebratory night of making it to England. <laughs> you know, I've just been so enthralled with watching your journey and, and watching you get there. And there's, there's still some of the things that you brought with you, like doing the yoga in your kitchen on your cabinets and all of that. But here's an observation I have for you. And I don't know, maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't, but I've noticed that the, I don't know if it's the tone or the timber of your voice has dropped down. Hmm. Huh a little bit cool. so it, it's just very it's it's very it, it's subtle but i just noticed that the the tone of your voice is different it's it's a little it's a little softer it's a little lower in the vibrational ah. aspect of it that's so, interesting no i love that thank you for sharing i wonder if that's uh the voice out uh you know trying to find that inner voice of that we have i feel very yeah. well I've, or, or, and being able to speak and and live your truth too. You know, that can, that can change all of that. I had no well. idea. Will you tell everyone where they can find you? 
out into the interwebs? Oh, on the interwebs, you can find me on Instagram at Erin Kelly Art. You can also find me on Instagrams at Authentic Movements, which is our online kind of platform that I do with Casa Calibre, Steph Gongra, my teaching partner and business partner. So there's two pages there. As well as I have my website, which is ErinKellyArt.com. I'm very basic. Everything's Erin Kelly Art. <laughs> and also AuthenticMovements.com is where you can find all of our online classes, where there will be my future writing going up on there as far as furthered education of a 300-hour intensive program that we offer as well as extended studies of a module-based program that we're doing for a 300-hour as well as 200-hour. Retreats uh, tend to be a little bit more of a continued education process, um, but we do hold retreats. Both of those websites, AuthenticMovements.com and AaronKellyArt.com, have our schedules of whether we'll be coming and teaching workshops um, and that kind of thing. But if you want to know my daily, what I do on the daily, it would be on Instagram, all my stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I want to thank you so much for making the time to spend with me today. I so appreciate your time. I so appreciate your openness and your honesty to share. It's one of those things that I don't take for granted because I just think it's Boy, technology can be a good thing and a bad thing. And for me, it's opened up my world to meet some incredible human beings that I never would have met in any yeah, other way. So I feel that too. I just... I do. <laughs> I will get together with you and Steph and we'll put together a joint interview where we can do some more chatting and some more laughing. Oh, yes, please. And, we're, as uh, you know, we're a hoot together. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you so yes, much you for yes, having me today. I look forward to it again. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Erin. And you have a great little celebration and happy Thanksgiving. And again, thank you so much for your yes. time. It's it's really, really wonderful. You as thank well. You. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. All right. Bye-bye.